Hi, and welcome to the Vine Community Church Podcast. We hope that what you're about to hear will help you to flourish in God's grace and bear fruit through loving God, loving each other, and loving our community. Well, good morning. Good good to be with you, church family, this morning. And have a new year. We have a 2023 date on the calendar, first day of the year. Happy New Year to you. Um, how was your 2022? If you think back over your last year, right? We're looking forward to 2023. Some of us want to look back and some of us are like, I am so glad that 2022 is over and we're moving into a new year, right? Well, for me, 2022 was majorly transformational. We uh, had a daughter this year back in June. I became a dad And on June 22nd, uh, since then, it has been an amazing, tiring, sanctifying, and thankful season, as many of you parents know. But one of my greatest joys as a father in this season is just to be able to look into my daughter's eyes, to be able to look into her eyes and, and know that she's mine. You, you know this if you've had a baby. For some reason, they just draw you in. They don't, they don't even do anything, right? They're just laying there, and yet you can't take your eyes off of them. You just look at them, and especially if they're yours, and they just take up our time. Why? Like I said, for me, it's because she's mine. It's because I love her, and there's nothing that's going to change that. She can feel that love when I look at her. She often will smile or giggle. Sometimes she's unhappy, but usually she smiles or giggles. But when I leave her and go do something else, she will look around for me, right? You see this? The the head turns around, right? Where are you? Where'd you go? What is she doing? She's looking for me, and sometimes she'll start crying, like, where did you go? And I'll come back in the room, and all of a sudden, her whole demeanor changes, right? Dad's back. Hey. It's like, what, what was wrong? What was wrong? Nothing. You just weren't here. I just didn't see you. Because when dad is here, I feel seen, protected, loved, and entertained, and at peace. You can turn in your Bibles to Numbers this morning. As I give that, it's going to be hopefully a balm for what we're going to talk about this morning about a father and a child. So as you flip to Numbers, um, yes, sometimes we preach out of a book called Numbers. Um, It's right after Leviticus and before Deuteronomy. If you're like, I've never gone to the book of Numbers before, it's uh, one of the books uh, in the Torah. And specifically, we're going to be in number six this morning. But before we get there, I need to give some context for exactly what we are looking at this morning in uh, chapter 6, and we're going to start in verse 22. Um, We're going to look at something called a benediction this morning. And we, uh, every week, have a benediction or a blessing and sending that happens at the end of our service. Some of you may know it as that weird thing that we do at the end, and a lot of people start raising their hand, and you're like, I have no clue what's going on. It feels kind of cultish. It's not. We're just receiving the blessing that God has given us. 
And so as we look at that this morning, I want to look at two questions about why do we do them and why do we need them. So literally, benedictions mean good words. Bene means good and diction means words. They are good words being given to us um, from someone. Benedictions are to remind us of who has placed his name on us. That as we have been made God's people, his family, we have all the benefits of being his. God wants us to experience his goodness. He wants you to know, feel, sense, and see his goodness towards you. So why do we do them? We do them to remind us that as we end our service, who it is that has put his name on us. The Lord is the one who has now made you part of his family and his estate. They're not just words to send us out with, but they're a reminder of whose you are as you go. All the blessings of that estate are now yours, but not only the blessings of material things, but also the blessings of loving and compassionate and caring Father who deeply loves you. Oh, and he's also the creator of the universe as well. So why do we need them? Benedictions point us back to our baptism. Maybe you've never thought about this before, but at baptism, what happens? God places his name on you. He calls you out. He pulls you in. He makes you part of his family. The benediction points to that moment that you have been made his. So our main point this morning is that the Lord desires to have relational intimacy with you personally. Right now. Now, before we get into the passage, there's one thing that needs to be clarified because this can be a hard concept. There's a difference between the presence of God and the relational presence of God. And we see this in Scripture. God's presence is everywhere, obviously. We believe that God is omnipresent everywhere. And Scripture confirms this, right? Jeremiah 23 says, I am a God at hand, declares the Lord, not a God far away. Can man hide himself in secret places so that I cannot see him, declares the Lord. Do I not fill heaven and earth, declares the Lord. Scripture confirms that he is everywhere. But just because his presence is everywhere does not mean he is relationally present in those places. There is a difference. The face of God is the relational presence of God. There's a difference between the two. Scripture proves this as the relational presence of God and glory of God literally comes down on the tabernacle. Was God not here previous to that? No, he was. But the relational presence of God came down in glory on the tabernacle. He dwelled with his people. There was a difference. And the same thing is true today, that he comes and he dwells in us, in his spirit. He is not just everywhere, but he is in us relationally. So an example of this, maybe to help you think through a room full of people, you may know that your friend is present in that room, and you see them way on the other side of the room, you know they're there, and that presence As you see them move around the room, you kind of still know, okay, they're here, they're here, but they're not really relationally present with me, right? And then all of a sudden, they come across the room, and they sit down beside you, and both of you turn to one another, and your face is locked with them. You can feel their tone, their warmth, 
and you can see their expressions. There's a difference in the presence of being known and relational than just being in a space. So that's important this morning because the significance of our passage, God wants you to know him personally, relationally. So number six, 22 through 27 this morning, this is the word of the Lord. The Lord spoke to Moses saying, speak to Aaron and his sons saying, thus you shall bless the people of Israel You shall say to them, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. So shall they put my name upon the people of Israel and I will bless them. Two points for this passage this morning. What's in a name? What's in a name? You see in this passage, the Lord is used four times. Four times. What is in the name? Specifically, what is in the name the Lord? You see in the English, we see the Lord, but in the Hebrew, you would have seen Yahweh here. The name, the unspeakable name that they would have never uttered in Hebrew And when they would write it down, they wouldn't even write the whole thing. They would write it without vowels. Why? Because there's a weight and glory to this name. There was such reverence and healthy fear of who God was and what invoking his name would mean. There's something in a name. The Lord is used four times. Why so much? This repetition of Yahweh is not required here. One use of his name would have sufficed. We would have gotten the idea. So why the repetition? Because there is something in a name. Even more so, there is something in the name Yahweh, the Lord. One commentary says, grammatically, there is no need to repeat God's name, but the repetition emphasizes that the Lord is the source of all Israel's benefits as does the last clause in this section that says, I emphatically will bless them. The Lord has his priest repeat his name to emphasize that he is the source of all goodness. He alone is the source of all goodness. What is all that goodness? Well, it's subjective and objective. Subjectively, It is based on personal feelings from him, taste and opinions. God loves you personally. He wishes to know you. He desires to show you his glory. His feelings are of a loving father towards you. But they're not just feelings. They're not just wishes. They're not just desires. They're objective as well. There are facts to back up these desires. He doesn't just say that he loves you and never actually, without never actually practically showing it. He gives his goodness to us to experience, right? We know this in the person of Jesus. Has he not shown his goodness and love to us, his people? Do you feel love, or does he feel love for you? Yes. Does he only have feelings of love for you? No. 
He actually practically can deliver on the depth of love which he has for you. So how does he do all this? How does he do all this? How does he deliver this goodness? That's where we get our passage for this morning. The first line, the Lord bless you and keep you. Bless and keep, to give something of value, to make oneself accessible. Even sometimes translated to kneel with the word bless. I need you to, for this morning, embrace your childlikeness, okay? Jesus said this often, right? He loved the children. There was a reason, because when we grow up, we lose this ability to think and feel like a child, And yet you and I are children. So embrace your childlikeness and envision a father knelt down before you at eye level with arms wide open. He's accessible. He wants to give you good things. What needs are there when a father is at eye level with you? You know that he wants to meet every need of yours and can do so. What does blessing like this look like practically? What is he actually giving us? We see blessing often as having stuff, talents, children, peace, etc. A lot of different things. David Mathis, a pastor, says, Temporal supplies, earthly peace, and human offspring are not unholy or insignificant. They can be precious gifts from God. But expressions of God's fatherly love, they are not the heart of blessing. God does desire to give us as his children good things. And get this, he actually knows what you need before you even need it. As a father, and many of you as parents know this as a parent, right? Your two-year-old doesn't know what they need, but you do. And you're going to give it to them before they even know they need it. He does the same. Matthew 6 says, Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat? What shall we drink? What shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But these are material things. They're not actually the heart of blessing. David Mathis goes on and says, in fact, these material things can be taken away, not as a removal of God's blessing, but actually of giving a blessing, the very expression of it. The center and apex of God's blessing is the presence and person of himself, God relationally present with you and me, intimately knowing us, that is blessing. And whether he gives or he takes away, that is the center of blessing. We see this with the disciples of the Passover in the upper room. The blessing given by Jesus to his disciples in the upper room was what? He kneels down to wash their feet, to bless them. And as he was doing so, he was not just meeting their need of cleaning their feet, but he was showing them that one day soon, he was about to meet their greatest need that they didn't even know they needed. 
and dying on a cross to be their savior. You see, God wants to bless you, but we have a hard time believing this much like the disciples. You know, in the upper room, the disciples, when Jesus got down on a knee and started washing, what'd they say? Whoa, 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 don't do that. What are you doing? You're not supposed to do that. We don't deserve that. And in some ways, they were right. But in another way, they didn't understand what they needed. I think it can be hard for some of us in the same way. The greatest blessing is not necessarily answering all our requests, but the presence and person of God himself. You know, Satan's main objective for us and for you in 2023 is to remove you from intimacy with God in this year. Because he knows if you are intimately in relationship with God, he is losing. He wants to remove you from that. He wants you to believe the lie that God has nothing good for you. Don't believe his words. He's not going to bless you. All all he has is anger for you. He has wrath for you. He's not going to bless you. That he's never going to bless you is the lie that he wants you to believe that God doesn't really want to know you. Would you want to know you? We have to fight for intimacy by reminding ourselves of truth, which leads to great news of the second half of this verse. He not only blesses us, but he keeps us. He now enfolds his arms, that father that is down on a knee, that has reached out for you. He now brings his arms around you and pulls you in. He keeps you. He protects you, that divine embrace of you. Yahweh is for us. Who can be against us? Romans 8, 31 through 32. What then shall we say in these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gives him up for all. How will he not also give graciously all things? The Lord bless and keep you. What or who keeps you in your life? Where do you find security? Is it in a bank account? Is it in a life insurance plan? Is it a job? Is it in a spouse? You realize that all the things we look to to keep us are very fragile. They can be gone in an instant. God keeping you is not fragile. The next verse here in verse 25, we see, the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. What do you see on the face of God? Maybe you've been asked this question before. You've thought about this before. Someone's challenged you with this. What do you see on the face of God when you're praying? When you're in that relational space? What do you see on his face? Does God's face shine upon you as one of his beloved children? Or have you taken the face of a parent, a coach, a teacher, a 
boss, and placed it on God. That's his face towards me. God desires to show his children his face. Or said another way, God desires to have an intimate relationship with you, his child. Why can't he? Why can't he show you his face? Holiness and sin. We have a God. Remember I talked about the relational presence of God is not something that can just be given. Because God relationally present is holiness present. And holiness cannot be in the place of sin. Sin had to be taken care of. The relational presence of God cannot be in the presence of sin. You and I can now know the relational presence of God. Why? Because of Jesus. This blessing to the people of Israel, we see the fulfillment. What they were looking forward to, we now see in the face of Jesus. You know, Moses, in the book, um, <clears throat> a couple books before this, asked at Mount Sinai, but I want to see your face. And God says what? You cannot see my face, for man shall not see me and live. God has been gracious to us because he has turned his face upon us in Jesus the holy presence of God and the glory of his face has shined on you and me in Jesus. That which at one time would have brought death now brings life. In the face of Jesus, the face of God turned at the cross. We just sang about it. The fathers turned his face away from his son. This important part of the gospel that is Jesus was up on that cross, the face of God for the first time ever turned from his beloved son for you and for me so that the face of God would never again turn from you or me. You would never again be forsaken because Christ was forsaken. What grace have we been given now the face of God shines on you. His light and glory has shone in that presence. Hebrews 4.16 says, Let us now have confidence to draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace in, in time of need. Because of Jesus, we can call on this name. How gracious has God been to us. You and I can now know that the indwelling presence of God, which his people for thousands of years could only know in the most holy of holy places, dwells in you and me. Do you realize people for thousands of years would have died to know the presence of God that resides in you and me in the Holy Spirit? What does this mean that his face has shined upon us? It's the benevolent look. Remember, we go, I'll go back to that question. What do you see on God's face? Is it a benevolent look towards you? Or is it to say, maybe another way, the tender-hearted, warm, charitable look towards you? Spurgeon says, a look of approval from God creates a deep, delightful calm within the soul. I asked earlier, what do you see on the face of God? Is it a smile? Is it a kind, warm, loving father? 
Is it a face of a father completely delighting in you? Or do you have a wrong view of how God sees you in Jesus? You see an angry, frustrated, disappointed, apathetic expression on the face of God. If you see that this morning and you are in Christ Jesus, you are believing the lie that Satan wants you to believe. And you are missing out on the intimacy that God has given us and the grace that he's given us this morning. So how can this be? How can God be so benevolent and delightful towards us? Aren't we sinners? Aren't we rebellious children? Because he has been gracious to us. This is the second half of the line, right? He shines his face on us and be gracious to us because he knew that in order for his face to shine on you and me, he had to be gracious. He had to be gracious. God has been so gracious to us, so much so that instead of wrath, you and I get a father's face that is delightful, that is happy, that smiles. If God's face is shining upon you and his relational intimacy is with you and God has turned his face to a sinner, we must be grace, radical grace. We see the face of God, a father that is willing to deliver his people from their troubles and desires, to give them good things. And here's the best news about that approval, that smile on the face of God for those of you in here that are approval junkies. That approval will never disappear. You know why? Because it's not on his face because of anything that you've done. It is on his face because of what Jesus has done. You didn't gain it, and therefore you can't lose it. I don't know who, you, who or where you are right now in your relationship with the Lord. You may be a new believer. You may have been following him for 30 years, or you may not know him at all. For those that have become his children by grace through faith in Jesus, there is only one expression on the Father's face, and it is delight and a smile. My beloved child, I am so happy in you. The Lord make his face shine upon us and be gracious to us. And then our last verse in this section, verse 26 The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. What is countenance here? Again, I go back to the father that has knelt, that has opened up his arms, that has brought his child in. The countenance here that he's talking about is that his attention is on you. You know when the attention of someone is off of you and when it's on you, right? You can tell. Their eyes are somewhere else. Their brain is thinking about other things. God is not like that towards you. His eyes are locked on you. His countenance has risen to you. He sees you and knows you. He wants to bless you. You know, before I said the shining of the face refers to the benevolent look of God's face To lift up one's countenance is that the eyes and face are fixed on you. 
All these verbs, this is so cool about this passage. Every single one of these verbs in this passage is in the singular. What does that mean? That means that he's not talking to 10,000 people. He's not talking to 5,000 people. He's not even talking to 100 people. This scripture is personal. It is individual. So as you sit in this room feeling like one of many, God does not see you that way. God sees you individually, personally, knows you. He sees you in this room when no, no one else you feel like sees you. He sees you. He knows you. His attention is on you. It is as if he has knelt down in front of you, pulled you in, has a smile of delight on his face, and his hands are resting on your shoulders. You have his full attention, emotions, resources, and heart. This is being satisfied in God. Is there any other place that our heart would be more satisfied? The answer is no. So what does this do for us? We so desperately want someone outside of us with unique and great worth to tell us that we are of unique and great worth. You feel that in you? That desire for significance? You want someone else of significance to look at you and say, you matter. I don't know who that is for you, but you're looking for them to finally look at you and say, you matter. Because they have worth to you. And here's what I want to tell you this morning. The creator of the universe has found you and has looked at you, someone of far surpassing worth than any person you could think about, and says, I see you, and you have worth. My countenance is upon you. What does this countenance give us? It's the last thing of this verse, peace. This peace is a total well-being, a full flourishing the word in the Hebrew is that word shalom, a wholeness, a completeness. The Lord is who will give us completeness. He will do this as he makes all things new. For now we are being changed, as scripture tells us, from one degree of glory to another. 1 Corinthians 13 says, for now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then I shall know in full, even as I have been fully known. One day you will in full see God face to face, and your heart will be more delighted and satisfied than you could ever dream of. So again, what's in the name? Everything. Everything is in a name. All the statements made are conditioned on a person making them. If, you are, if your coworker was making them, what would that mean to you? Well, I guess it depends probably on their name, how much money, resources, time, energy they give to you, and what's their desire to actually do so. You see, in a name is why this benediction is important. Because the name that is given is the name of God, the name of Yahweh. And he has everything at his disposal to bless his children. 
So why is he doing these things? The Lord desires to know you personally, fully known and fully loved. So my last point, point two, which is much shorter. The Lord has put his name on us, our last verse. Verse 27 says, So they shall put my name upon the people of Israel, and I will bless them. That I there is emphatic. It's emphasized. I will bless them. You see, you and I are spiritual orphans, or were spiritual orphans. When God drove Adam and Eve from the garden, they lost relationship in name of the Father God. From this point, they wandered the earth spiritually empty. The relational intimacy with which they once walked was gone. God not, no longer walked among them. But we today have been adopted if we have put faith and trust in Jesus. So just to show the importance of the name being given to you, three things If someone that's an orphan has been adopted, these three things are true of them. One, they've been given identity. If you go from being an orphan to being adopted, you gain literally a last name, right? You are now known as this name. When you fill out paperwork, when you're in class, when you're at a job, you are now known by a name. You have been given identity, and not just a name, but you have been given the practices, estate, and traditions of that family in which you have now been brought in. The second thing that you've been given is security. No longer are you wandering, wondering what's going to happen to me, where am I going to go, who's going to feed me, who's going to clothe me, who's going to put shelter over my head. Not any longer. A name has been placed on you. And that name brings security. And then the third thing is it brings accountability. You no longer act on your own. You act under a name. And as people of God, this should be weighty. That as you carry God's name, there's accountability to that. You don't just walk around with your own name, right? We walk around with the name of God placed on us. There is an accountability to the one we represent as we carry God's name. So then what do we do with this blessing, these good words? It's pretty easy. We bless. We have been blessed to be a blessing. We don't do this in our own goodness and strength. We do this out of the blessing we just read. How do we bless people really quickly with words We can bless people by affirming their gifts. We don't do this enough, right? When's the last time someone looked at you and said a kind word, calling you out for something, right? A gift. You're so good at that. I just want you to know how appreciative and helpful and amazing you are to do that. The second thing is fruit. If I see them growing in the Lord, the Lord is doing something in their life. They are adding something to them. I want to affirm that. I say, I'm so glad to watch the Lord use you. And then last is sacrifices. I want to bless you by affirming the sacrifice that you're going through. I know this season is hard for you as you sacrifice many things in your life in order to honor and glorify God. And I want to affirm that. I want to call that out and I want to bless you for that. So just some practical examples of that, of how we can bless
other people. You see, benedictions like one we read this morning are to be a reminder to us of who has placed his name on us. God wants us to experience his goodness this morning. The question is, do you want to know God? Because his arms are open to know you this morning. You know, we trade so many things for knowing God intimately. I don't know what it might be for you. For me, it's entertainment, achievement, man's approval, comfort in my own things and abilities, trusting my own wisdom and knowledge. These are orphan mentalities. These are leaving the name behind and trying to work on our own, to achieve on our own, to gain on our own. We aren't orphans anymore if we're in Jesus. We have new identities. God has placed his name on you and I. Let me say that again. God, the creator and sustainer of the universe, has looked at you and said, my beloved son, my beloved daughter, you are mine. C.S. Lewis says, it would seem that our Lord finds our desires to be too strong, not too strong, but too weak. We, have half, we are half-hearted creatures fooling around with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered to us. Like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea. We are far too easily pleased. How easily are you being pleased right now with the things in your life? There is so much better to be offered to you. Are you being far too easily pleased playing with mud pies in a slum? If you're here and you don't know what it's like to know God intimately, please talk to some of our pastors or elders or whoever you came with this morning. What would it be like for you to carry the name of God in 2023? To not live like an orphan, but as a child that has been brought in. You may be here for the first time or the 30th, but God may be calling you to himself this morning. Will you repent of your sins and come? See the smiling, delightful face of God. And come know the Father that loves you. The Father is calling you home. Thanks so much for joining us for this podcast. For more information, you can visit us online at thevinecc.com, download our mobile app, or visit us on Facebook or Instagram at thevinecc. Have a great week.